Are you struggling to determine how far you'll get in life and how to make people believe in your vision? Maybe been inspired by some of our recent topics and uh, you want to have your say. Robert Greene is an American author who's written six international bestsellers and says understanding the irrational human nature helps us move past our limits, which our other talents can only take us so far. Whether at work, relationships or shaping the world around us, we might be able to reflect on some useful tactics for success. So, Robert Greene, The Laws of Human Nature is your latest offering. Thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thank you for having me, Alex. My pleasure. And people might be thinking, oh, I, I know that author. Let me just remind them of some of your other works, The 48 Laws of Power, for example, or a book that I was recently checking out in a, in a certain well-known Korean bookstore here, The 33 Strategies of War. But you've also got The Art of Seduction, uh, The 50th Law, Mastery of the Laws of Human Nature, uh, the one I just mentioned. It's a wide-ranging series of subjects. Can you explain to us how you became the master of those? Well, um, I've been writing these kinds of books for 22 years. A lot of this has to deal, you know, books on strategy, but also figuring out other people and what makes them tick and their psychology, whether you're trying to just seduce someone or gain power in business or wherever, or just dealing with a conflict, like in the strategies of war. And over the years, I've accumulated a lot, a lot of knowledge, a lot of research. I've also been a consultant during that time for many very powerful people in business and politics. I served on the board of directors for a publicly traded company. And I've witnessed a lot of strange things in the world. I've seen a lot of people really struggle with understanding other people and their political nature and what makes them tick. So I felt that I had enough experience enough knowledge to write a book to really help people deal with these kinds of situations. It's interesting that your book is positioned in the self-help sector, because some of your past books, like, for example, The 33 Strategies of War that I was looking at, actually tell the stories of other stories to help inspire us as individuals. Sometimes self-help is positioned as as, as direct advice to one person of how to improve their life, but your books seem to be more wide-ranging. Of course, my books are not easy to categorize, but what my strategy is, I'm really trying to be practical. I want to help people a lot in their daily lives. And my idea is that I like to tell stories, tell stories from history that illustrate what I'm trying to explain, how, you know, different strategies or different ways of understanding people. Because I think when you introduce an idea through a story, people are entertained, their minds open up, they're not so defensive, they're not so bored in making people less defensive and more entertained, I have space to kind of influence them and change their ideas about the world. So my books are definitely self-help in that I'm trying to really kind of break up some of your worst habits in life and kind of wake you up to your real potential and how you could change some of these negative patterns. But my, my way of doing it is a little different. I try and introduce a lot of history because I think history is a fascinating subject And we have so much we can learn from the mistakes, the failures, and the disasters in the past. The um, whole self-help sector sometimes gets a bit of scorn from people who either think they don't need help themselves or think they don't want to get help from a book or who recognise that these things might be useful but that sometimes we're vulnerable to just reading what sounds inspiring and then the next day forgetting it. Do you believe that books can profoundly change someone's life in the long term? 
Well, I know they can because they've changed my life since I was a young man. I've been reading my whole life, and some of the books that I read when I was in my teens and early years in college and in my 20s profoundly changed my behavior and what I do. But I think the problem with a lot of self-help books is they're very simplistic. They flatter the reader. They try and tell the reader, you're basically a good person. Everyone's sort of good out there. Here's some very simple little formulas for improving your life. And I find that kind of BS. I'm, I'm a realist. I want to slap people in the face and say, really, you're not as good as you think you are. Other people aren't necessarily as good as you think they are. Some people out there can be downright nasty or aggressive, and you have to be careful. And so I'm going to give you strategies to deal with that. It's a different kind of self-help book. It's very much realistic. And I'm trying to make you look at yourself, particularly the last book, is kind of a mirror for looking at yourself and seeing some of your own patterns in life, kind of a wake-up call. And if you take my books seriously, if you really read them, I think it can have a profound effect on you. And I've gotten so many emails over the years of people, I'm not trying to brag, but I've gotten a lot of emails from people who've said the books have really, really helped them deal with, with terrible people they've had in their lives, et cetera. Is there a sense that the laws of human nature helps us look more inward, whereas, for example, the laws of power and strategies of war might have been applied more towards relationships with others? Yes, except in the strategies of war, the first four strategies are how to deal with yourself, because you can't be a great strategist in life if you don't have certain basic fundamental knowledge about who you are, you don't know, understand your own fears and things that hold you back. But yes, I think you're right. This book is much more geared. It has two purposes. One is to help you understand what motivates other people so that you can navigate the social world much more easily, but also how to understand yourself, what motivates your own behavior, why sometimes you can do things that you don't feel that you don't really control, why you might be governed by your own emotions, etc. So I think this book is sort of a more introspective book than the other books. I would agree with that. And, and it does really urge us to examine our negative emotions, irrationality, compulsive behavior, self-sabotage. By focusing on the negative, though, presumably we can bring out the positive. Yes, it's not a totally pessimistic book. I'm saying a lot of the qualities that we have were developed hundreds of thousands of years ago in circumstances that are not appropriate to the 21st century. And so a lot of the things that we can control um, you know, things that are even on social media that kind of make us more emotional and more prone to comparing ourselves to other people and feeling envy um, can be very dangerous. But by coming to terms with the fact that as a human being, you naturally compare yourself to other people, to their status, to whether they have more, to whether their children are doing better, et cetera, et cetera. If you can be honest about that, and I'm just talking about one specific instance here, then you can finally take that desire to compare yourself and turn it into something positive by, first of all, maybe trying to make yourself a better person. So instead of feeling envy, you try and compete and emulate someone who has more than you and maybe, you know, improve your own status. And I want you to compare yourself to people who have less than you instead of always comparing yourself to people who have more so you can feel grateful for what you have. So you can't build these positive aspects into human nature until you first come to terms with the darker negative side. And another example is your self-absorption, which I make the point of we're all very self-absorbed in this world. And people who deny it are actually the most narcissistic, self-absorbed people of all. 
But by understanding that quality, you can be, then begin to develop the opposite quality, which is empathy, turning your absorption inward into something, absorbing your interest outward. So that's sort of the strategy of this book. The um, advice of being detached from self-doubt and, and insecurity when we might have this desire to impress other people, how would you say we go about that? Well, um, first of all, you know, if you have self-doubt and insecurity, you have to understand that it has a very negative effect on other people. We've all had this sensation of the experience of meeting someone who, who we recognize as being very insecure and very defensive. And our first reaction is it makes us a bit uncomfortable. It tends to bring out our own insecurities and our own defensiveness. Whereas if we meet somebody who's very confident about themselves, very secure about who they are, it has the opposite effect on us. So I'm trying to make you aware of the fact that your attitude, how you look at yourself, how you think about yourself, tends to affect other people and create a like kind of a reflection from them. So if you're able to understand that, then you can control a bit your own attitude. If you have a negative, bitter, resentful attitude, you're going to be putting people off and you're going to be creating a self-fulfilling prophecy. Whereas if you can approach people with a more open attitude, and there are ways to do it, and I give you many practical tips in the book. I'm not saying it's easier, you can do it overnight. But I'm giving you kind of certain principles that you can apply tomorrow. Then, you know, you have the ability to maybe control your attitude and maybe project something that is more confident and more secure. Let's get to a couple of very practical points. People might still feel, while detecting some inspiration here, uh, they might feel some confusion. They might wonder, well, what should I do next? How should I go about my relationships? I'm already viewed this way or that way, or I already view myself this way or that way. How can they, do you think, get in touch with what might be described as their purpose? I wrote an entire book prior to this one that really goes into depth on that, my book, Mastery. But I have a chapter in this book about discovering your purpose in life. And the idea is simply, uh, I want to make you aware that you are a unique person. And it's actually something you really need to meditate on. The fact that your DNA will never be repeated in the past or in the future, and your experiences in the world are one of a kind. And your power in life is your uniqueness. And so many people are afraid of what makes them different. They want to conform. They want to be like other people. And then they move away from their source of power. But if you think of all of the really successful, interesting, powerful people in the world, they are unique. They are one of a kind. We can't think of another person like a Steve Jobs or like a Warren Buffett. Or, you know, you can go on and on down the list. They're one of a kind. And so you out there have the same potential. There's something unique about you. There's some interest and your experience that can be very powerful. And if you can apply that to some new business that you start up or to a book that you write, people will respond to it. But to the degree that you imitate and conform other people, you lose all of that power. And so I try to make it clear, I want you to go through a process of examining yourself and looking back before you listen to your parents, before you listen to your teachers, before you listen to your friends and your peers, who try to tell you who you were and what you should be in life, I want you to go back deeper into your past and try to go to those sensations where you were more in in contact with what you wanted, with what you were excited about. And I give many examples of people in history who went through that process. For me personally, I knew when I was six or seven years old 
that I wanted to be a writer, and I stuck to it. It took me forever to figure out what I wanted to write and how to do it. But I never gave up, and I kept trying to build experience. But if I had listened to my parents and gone to law school, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now, Alex, and I'd probably be a very unhappy person. Um, I don't I don't want to mean that you have to quit your job tomorrow and, and become a rock star or whatever. You have to be practical. We all have to make money in this life. But to the degree that you find what excites you, but deep down you feel is, is your destiny, your calling in life, to that extent, you're actually going to do much better in your career because your emotions are engaged. You enjoy what you're doing. You wake up every morning excited. You're more creative. And I know the difficult thing is, how do I figure that out? And I can't do that in, in the two minutes that I'm here talking to you. I give you a lot of clues in the book about how you can go through that process. But it's probably the most critical thing you can do in your life. I just want to finish with something else from your own experience, because uh, last year you had a health scare. You experienced a stroke. And there's nothing like facing yeah. one's own mortality, is there, to put some of these ideas to the test. Uh, was there anything in particular that came out of that experience that you'd like to share with us? You know, I wrote in my last chapter of the book about confronting your mortality. And here, two months after I wrote that, I had to confront my own mortality in a very real way, not an intellectual or abstract way. What I wrote is actually true, but it's, it's one thing to say it and think it. It's another thing to experience it. And so I've discovered coming really a hair's breadth away from dying, because if I hadn't gone to the hospital as quickly as I did, if my wife hadn't called right away, I'd either be dead or I'd have severe brain damage. I've lost my fear of death. I think about it all the time. I feel I have that sensation in my body of what it was like to lose consciousness and to come that close and then to wake up. And I'm not afraid of it. And it can happen tomorrow. And I know that it could happen tomorrow. In fact, I feel it every day. And it just makes me appreciate the time that I have that I'm alive. It makes me appreciate the fact that I'm able to write another book. I may have many struggles. I can't really walk very well. All of the things I used to love, like traveling and swimming, I can't do that right now. Eventually, I hope I will be. But I really come to appreciate, you know, what I've had in life. And I'm not afraid of dying anymore. And it's a very, very liberating feeling. There really is nothing to fear. It's something we all have to go through. But if you look at the literature and people who've had these near brushes with death, a lot of them a lot worse than my own. They have the same reaction. What more in life is going to scare me after I've faced the ultimate? So that was sort of my experience. Well, it seems to be a very positive legacy that you're already witnessing around you which is not something everybody gets to see while they're while they're alive Robert Green uh, we're out of time but I, I think it's worth mentioning briefly as well that books like the laws of power and strategies of war that they might be seen as being rather Machiavellian and, and almost sort of too self-interested but the message that you have consistently sent out is being aware of these things to actually be a better person a better version of yourself as people like to point it out um, and it's been a tremendous yeah. pleasure to have you on the line. Well, thank you very much, Alex. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. And good luck with everything, hopefully with the travelling and and all the rest of it in the near future as well. Uh, Speedy recovery. Robert Green, best-selling author of The Laws of Human Nature.